Hi, and welcome to the Ming Kuang podcast. This is the first and only episode of our podcast where we will be talking about finding our roots. We have a great story to tell, so let's get started. My name is Violex Ming, she, her pronouns, and I'm a fourth year data science major at Berkeley. Hi, my name is M. Miller, and I use she, they pronouns. I'm a first year transfer student and English major at Berkeley. I'm hoping to minor in Asian American and Asian diaspora studies. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Ben Ro, he, they pronouns, and I'm also a transfer student studying Asian American and Asian diaspora studies. I'll be graduating this semester. Hi, I'm Elizabeth, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm a second year studying cognitive science and design, and this is the first Asian American studies class I've taken, and I'm hoping to make it into a minor. So our interviewee is Ms. Nona Wyman, an author and former Mingquang orphan. The Mingquang Orphanage is located in Los Gatos, California, which is about an hour south of Berkeley. And Ms. Wyman was left there in 1935 at the age of two. She first wrote about her childhood in the memoir Chopstick Childhood in a Land of Silver Spoons, published in 1999. In 2012, she wrote Bamboo Women, a book telling 21 inspiring coming of age stories from girls that she called her sisters that she met at Mingquang. In this book, she reveals the bonds of love and friendship that they created and how it helped them survive the many challenges of life. Today, Ms. Wyman owns a small gift shop in Walnut Creek, and we're really looking forward to speaking with her. Some of our central themes today revolve around the idea of building a bridge to connect to the diaspora, and as well as acculturation that is relevant to the historical context of the opium wars, migration, and Western imperialism, as well as the dueling nationalisms of the 20th century. The period starting from when China lost the Opium Wars up until the Revolution of 1949 is otherwise known as a century of humiliation, or when China was the quote-unquote sixth man of Asia. It was one of the most destitute countries in the world with an average lifespan of 35 to 45 years. That century dealt a blow to the social and economic fabric from which is still recovering from today. The institutionalized impoverishment engendered migration, leading to the dispersal of the Chinese diaspora across the globe away from the homeland. These sojourners intended to return when their native country was stable and prosperous, though many would elect to settle down and integrate into their host countries, which would prove difficult. However, these countries, particularly settler colonial states, otherwise needed these expendable and disposable Chinese workers to continue their imperial expansion into indigenous territories. As such, many Chinese were forced into debt traps and were forced to give up their securities which could include their land, possessions, and even children, on top of facing racist violence and exclusion. One of the themes that we are focusing on today is the idea of being out of touch with one's culture. Oftentimes when children of color are adopted by white families, a big concern for parents is the loss of the child's home culture. Today we want to explore this loss of culture in the context of Chinese orphans, particularly those from the Mingquang Orphanage. This loss of culture can also manifest into shame or disassociation, especially when racism and white supremacy are Western cultural drivers. In our podcast, we want to discuss how Chinese orphans were not only displaced from their culture, but actively taught to disengage and feel shame from it. As for sources, for this introductory presentation, we use several news sources, including Mercury News and the New York Times, to learn about the Mingquang Orphanage today, as well as what Chinese orphanages looked like during the pandemic. Many current events related Chinese orphanages to international adoption, so we also cited an NBC News article about families waiting to adopt from China. Our other source that we will use more moving forward is Ms. Wyman's book itself, Bamboo Women, so that we can better understand her experience and how her and other women's time in the orphanages have impacted their lives today. So we'd like to start by talking about our own roots. I was born in China and moved to Texas when I was less than a year old. 
going up in Texas, I always felt a little bit out of place as I was one of two Asian kids in my elementary school. Even so, my parents insisted I go to Chinese school and through their teachings as well as occasional visits back to China, I stayed in touch with my culture. When I first started attending UC Berkeley, I chose to take an Asian American studies class with Professor Dong as a way of furthering my connection with not just my own culture, but the culture of many other Asian Americans. I was born in San Jose, but throughout my childhood, I've been to Vietnam more times than I can count to visit my mom's side of the family. I grew up with other Southeast Asian people in the Bay Area, went to the same schools, and my experience understanding myself as a racialized individual only really started when I got to college. Lately, I've been cultivating my connection with my motherland, seeing myself as a person in the diaspora and as a part of Vietnamese history and its revolutionary legacy. I'm learning to claim this history, both good and bad. What possibilities would open up if I did so? How do I recover this history, this international spirit? How do I recover my connection to the legacy of anti-imperialist Vietnamese resistance? To me, learning about my roots today means learning from my people's struggles for national reunification and peace. I was born and raised in the Bay Area and now go to UC Berkeley, so I've lived in the same area for my entire life. But my family has been all over the world, from South Africa to Japan to England and China. In terms of heritage, I've always felt more in touch with my Japanese side than my Chinese side. I attended a Japanese summer program, studied Japanese in high school, and have continued to identify more with my Japanese roots. I took this class to gain a better understanding of my own identity and history as Chinese American, and I'll continue to explore the side of myself because I have so much left to learn. I was born in the Bay Area and raised in Sacramento, California. My dad is white and my mom is white and Japanese. As I got older, I became increasingly interested in learning about the roots and culture in my family that were non-white, um, mostly because it was clear that these roots were far less accessible due to years of assimilation and racism. My grandmother was adopted as an infant in 1940 and shortly after was interned with her parents in Japanese internment camps. These intersections, the adoption, internment, and American culture cultivated assimilation into my family roots. I felt and watched how that intergenerational trauma has been passed down from my grandparents to my mom to me and my sister. It has been important for me to unpack my family histories that have been erased. As you can see, we all come from different cultural backgrounds, but there are still some aspects that are the same, such as making our way back to our home culture and trying to rediscover it. So now we go to Nona, who was kind enough to answer some of our questions that we have for her about growing up in a Chinese orphanage in America. Question number one was... Oh, yeah. The first question is, what were some influential moments in your life that shaped your cultural identity and heritage? Oh, okay. Since the age of two years old, growing up in a Chinese girls' orphanage shaped my life to the extent of knowing we were the only Chinese girls in a town of mostly Caucasians. So I really wasn't truly aware. But at the annual parade through the town of Las Gatas, we were featured in fancy, elaborate Chinese outfits. Although one was a peasant in a large coolie hat with a bamboo pole holding a basket full of vegetables. That was a crowd pleaser. Okay, and the photographer always ran by our side to capture our jubilated faces. So I guess that probably made a difference in that we were kind of proud and just happy that we were in the parade and the photographer was interested in us. Okay, second question. 
was what was your primary goal with sharing your story and the stories of your sisters from Ming Kwong? How did you think that these stories have impacted readers today? Well, when we first opened the store, it was called the Melting Pot. But the Melting Pot was a restaurant was Bandu, so they had the right to it first. So Ming Kwong was my second choice, plus a few others, but Ming Kwong was the one that really spoke to us. And that motivated me to share my experiences at the orphanage. When people would come into the store, then I'd say, do you know what Ming Guang means? And so that led on to other things. And that's how the first book, Chopstick Childhood, came about. And that came about with encouragement from my husband, who was a social worker, and later a teacher for the educationally handicapped students. Also a professor of Asian studies at a college. Um, his comment was, your story should be told its history. Oh, I did receive an award for humanitarianism. Now, that was a new word for me because I go, I didn't even know how to spell it. But it meant woman of distinction, which led to my second book, Bamboo Woman. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. So we can go on to the third question. So it's the same question as before. Uh, the how do you think growing up in the Ming Kwong orphanage set you apart from Chinese children that grew up in a more traditional setting? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Let's see. At least there's no parents bickering, no one drinking, and no worry about expenses. Didn't have to worry about our next meal, which was probably prevalent in those days. And our clothing was always neat. At the home, we were taught religious songs and attended Sunday school. And when we were older, we even went to the, for the older kids. So that's, that's how our life set us apart, I guess. So you said you stayed at the orphanage until you were 13, right? Right. So what happened after? So we're, after the orphanage, were you adopted? Oh, no, no, no. No one at the home ever wanted to be adopted because that meant that we would have to leave all our friends. And that's what was family to us, all the girls. So we were very close. When I was 13, I had to move up to the Oakland home. The Oakland home is close to Lake Merritt, which is close to Chinatown. Just about three, four blocks away. So that was in hopes that we would learn our Chinese culture plus go to the Chinese Presbyterian Church for a change. And not all white not an all white church. Which was fine with me because I didn't know the difference. Except that I noticed that when I went up to the Oakland church, well it sure seemed poor compared to the Las Gatas church. You know, everything else in the Las Gatas church just seems like it was brand new. But in the Oakland church it looked like it's been there for centuries. So that there was a difference there in the looks of the church. Oh wow. Interesting. Um so comparing like the Oakland church to the Los Gatos church, I would say you definitely like the Los Gatos one more, right? Well, I just say I was used to it. Because um the other one looked just kind of decadent, like it was gonna might fall apart or kind of dingy and dark. And it's not that I didn't like it. It's just such a vast difference. It's just like going up from Los Gatos, from a quiet countryside, to being on a busy, busy corner in Oakland where the home was and hearing all the 
the sirens going and seeing the spotlight and ding, 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 ding. That means someone can cross the street. Well, in Las Gatas, you never heard that kind of a noise or regular, regular life. Yeah, Oakland is very, very busy, very, very loud. I would imagine even back then. Um, so how many other girls went with you to the Oakland orphanage? In the Oakland, I'm probably about, oh, uh, maybe. You know what? I never really gave it any count. Probably about, there's probably about five tables. So maybe six to a table. So whatever that counts up to 30, 25 to 30. Yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. So after, um, after you got out of the orphanage, did you like find you had trouble integrating or into American society or do you think it was pretty smooth? Well, after you leave Oakland, then you go back down to where I was born, Palo Alto. And that was kind of um, different because they were more high class, more wealthy. And they even rode bicycles to school, which in those days would go, wow, even the counselors riding a bike, even the teachers are riding a bike. It was such a vast difference that I just looked around kind of like strangely at these differences and go, it's like making, taking a step backwards sometimes. It was, it was different. I don't know if I got into the um, being accepted by the community because I was from an orphanage and I didn't know anybody in high school. So that, that was really different. Thank you. Moving on to the fourth question that we sent you in the email. How have the, the two experiences combined of being Chinese American and growing up in an orphanage? I know you said it's hard to answer this because it was the only life that you knew, so there's not a lot to compare it to. But um, how do you think it affected you? It has affected you over the years. All I know is that when I... Um, that's the question number four. My answer was... I wasn't uh, aware of it affecting my life in any way. Yeah, I guess that's why I'm so slow in answering. But when the uh, people at the store, my store, looks at me and find out that I was from an orphanage, they'll say, but you turned out okay. So I guess they think orphanage is a really bad life. But I guess we were fortunate we were in a home that called it not an orphanage. In fact, they added the Mingguang home. The home was after that. So, and they were kind of agitated and they said to me, Nona, we were not raised in an orphanage. It was our home. So we were fortunate that Donna, Dina, Cameron and other originators of the home added the word home. So I guess if that's a, a comparison, I guess that be it that, even though it doesn't seem like it's really the correct answer. No, that's a great answer. When did they add the word home? No, it was always on the sign. Oh. As far as I know, it always said Mingguang home. So that's why the girls were agitated because it, it never said, the, never ever was there the word orphanage, except when I was, when my first book came out and I was being interviewed, 
and the interviewer wrote down, or the reporter wrote down that it was an orphanage. But when I did look it up in the dictionary, it fit just perfect, really, because that's what it really was, an orphanage. <laughs> but the teachers or the originators of the home did it for our, our sake. They added the word home, which was really nice of them. Because it made us more secure. It made it more like a family. Yeah. Yeah. Keep in touch with your sisters from the orphanage? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm kind of the, um, the one in, not the one in charge, but the one that people come to because my stores, of course, called Ming Guang. And because I wrote four books. So, so they're not like now being interviewed right now and other interviews and other happenings where I've gone to a lot of readings. And so I represent the home. In fact, someone said, um, Nona, are you changing your name to Ming Wong? Because when I was on Facebook, that's the first thing that came out of me was because I wanted to connect with my customers. So the name Ming Guang came first. And I didn't realize that that was the name that was officially follow me. So I go, yeah, and Ming Guang and Nona are almost the same person. So about the books, um, why did you want to write? You said you've written four, but particularly Chopstick Childhood and Bamboo Women. The reason why I wanted to write, oh, it's because... um. I guess it's something inside me that just says I should share this because I like the home. And so it was a good experience. Then after the Chopstick Childhood came out, people says, but then what happened to you after that? And I go, oh, goodness. I mean, I guess I have to write some more stories. So while I was writing, writing, I guess, my story, other stories came out. Of, I mean, I interviewed other girls and ended up with about 21, 21 other stories. And that book, Bamboo Woman, was picked for International Women's Day at St. Mary's College out here in Moraga. Which, by the way, have you heard of Planet Earth? No. Planet China? No. Anyhow, that I was named one of the 10 women for International Women's Day for that magazine, which is in China, and also it's going to be um, interpreted in Italian. Can you believe it? Italian. Now the Italian people will know about Mingguang. <laughs> Plus the library now at Cal. That's great with Harvey Dong being Asian Studies, because I read at his book also, I mean, at his uh, bookstore. And that was one of the best uh, book, book readings ever because there was a lot of MQ girls there. We call them MQ girls. At least I call them girls. But one dignified woman that's a girl that grew up and became a woman, she says, no, no, we are not girls anymore. We are women. I go, oh, I know, I know. <laughs> it's just something that's within you, so you just call them girls. At least I do. What was the most challenging part of writing? Well, it was the most challenging part of writing. Oh, sometimes if I didn't know the complete answer, you know what the question, you know what someone suggested? Use your, don't use your dominant hand. Use the, your other hand and write down the answers that first comes to you. And I go, 
okay, that was different. So you should have seen all the scribblings. <laughs> but then I came up with, uh, I guess I came up with an answer. I, I can't remember that far back. You know, not, like that's about over 20 years ago. Jeez, that's 100 years ago. I, I guess that's one of the most challenging part. But um, no, I don't know. I guess that's one of the challenging ones. Especially if you don't know the answers, like, why did your mother leave you? Why did you, Why was I abandoned? I mean, those are the questions or answers that you're never going to know, that you have to face it. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, anyone else want to hop in with any? Thank you so much um, for meeting with us today. Um, I think that one question that came up um, with the answer that you just gave about challenges with writing the book was um, like, how did the other girls at the orphanage view their family? Like, were they curious to find them or like, what was their, um, how did they kind of approach that? Oh, when I would ask them personal questions, how did they approach it? Is that what you meant? Yeah. Um, sometimes they didn't know the answer, just like, just as like me. Or I know there's probably some more deep secrets that they probably didn't tell me. Like maybe now if I was to interview somebody, I would might ask the question, was there anything that you would not tell the public or you could just tell me because I lived at Mingguang or something like that. But when I was starting out, I was more naive. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, so I think that's all the questions that we have for you today. Uh, thank you so much again for agreeing to interview with us and for answering all of our questions. Thanks for the interview. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Say hi to Harvey. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That's all that we have for you guys today. As you can see, each person that has talked comes from a different background, but in the end, like salmon swimming upriver to find their way home, we have each taken a journey that ended in finding our home culture. Unlike the salmon though, I think it's safe to say that our journey for connecting with our roots never truly ends and there's something beautiful about that. We hope that everyone is staying safe and thank you again for listening.